Most professions have the ability to create families. Often, those with 9-to-5 jobs can spend more time with their coworkers than those waiting for them at home. Call centers, stock portfolio firms, restaurants, you name it. While your colleagues may not know intimate details about you, they do begin to have an idea of who you are, your personality and humor, and they get to understand how you act on a daily basis. This is especially true of the medical field. Maybe it's issues of health, of life and death, that has the power to bond people together. Maybe seeing the fragility of life, its fleeting impermanence that cultivates a hyper-awareness of a coworker's change in attitude. And these tells, however subtle, might raise the hackles on even a casual acquaintance's neck. On September 20th, 2014, at a nursing home in North Augusta, South Carolina, those subtle changes in Tammy Kindry's behavior seemed to kick off a chain of events that ultimately created far more questions than answers, and a seemingly idyllic family without their mother. Although, looking hard enough, the cracks were visible much sooner. We're going to look into a story that hits very close to home, just across the Savannah River, less than 10 miles from where we're recording this episode. A frustrating but intriguing story, and the first part of a double episode today on Dr. Scarelove. This is Dr. Scarelove. Hey y'all, the doctors are in the studio. Hello, Seekers of the Sinister, you gorgeous rabbit holers. Remember, we've got a new logo and a whole new website layout. Thanks, Drew. Uh, New everything. This is a total rebrand and a change of direction. We want to know what you think. Let us know. Like, seriously, uh, check it all out. Check out the website. um, And write in. Tell us. Tweet Mm us. Uh, Tell us we're terrible. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's what we need. We want to hear that we're terrible. Yeah. uh, We're getting a good amount of feedback on iTunes, um, which we really, really appreciate. Um, some other platforms as well, and we want more. We do. Uh, we want more, 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 more. We got a, a special helping of love from our first Monster of the Week episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're going to expand this a bit. Uh, do We want to do a true or unsolved crime every other week, we think. Uh, some of these will be a part of the regular Dr. Scarelove show, while the others will be only available to Scarelove Society members. Mm-hmm. Bonus episodes. Absolutely. So, um, some of that, uh, some love came, uh, from Megarel88. Uh, we love you. Thank you so much for that review. And then, um, the other new review by Nana E.E. Monkery. Yeah, uh, what is that? Nana E.E. Monkery. I love it. It's like, uh, E.E. E. Cummings. Yes. You know, uh, E.E. E. Cummings' grandmother. Uh, thank you so much for the very, um, kind and, um, helpful reviews. We really appreciate it. So if you'd like to get a shout out on the show, um, leave us your name, leave us a comment on iTunes, uh, and we will uh, get you in the next show. Absolutely. And um, what we're thinking is for every uh, 50 reviews, we're going to do a bonus episode. Mm -hmm. Um, And that will just be even more content. Absolutely. Um, So um, just since we're on that... um, we are now on Patreon. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's up and running. And we've decided that just five bucks a month, which is kind of standard, uh, yeah. we think, in the podcast world, um, you receive not only um, two bonus episodes 
uh, per month, but a discount on future merch. Um, a Scare Love Society tote bag, which we are right in the process of making those right now. Mm -hmm. And once we get them finished, we're going to make a special society coin, like a like a souvenir coin that you can carry around in your pocket. Hell yeah. Um, that you can show to other members to prove that you're part of the cult. Uh, <clears throat> sorry, uh, part of the club. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cult club. You know, what's the difference? It's <laughs> it's negligible. So uh, speaking of bonus episodes, we've written our first one. Um, so if you are interested in mermaids, um, we did some uh, research on... Um, the horrifying history of mermaids. Which it's not I'm all Little Mermaid. About. It's not all Ariel. It is not Ariel. Yep. It is something way more. There's a lot more to it. Uh, but that's only going to be available uh, through Scare Love Society. Yeah. Uh, that's going to be for Patreon members. Yes. Um, so also, uh, there will be bloopers, access to show notes and other writing, and we are also working on launching a private page on the Dr. Scarelove website for society members. So you can all yep. hang out together um, virtually. Uh, a place for us like-minded individuals to chat um, with one another, to bolster and build the Scarelove Society, to create our rules and guidelines, to choose what colors our robes will be, what rituals <laughs> we will appropriate from other cults and religions, who we're going to sacrifice next. <laughs> yeah. Just kidding. Uh, I mean, just probably <laughs> or just, am I? just babies. Yeah, just um, babies. Who needs them? Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, but, we, you know, we'll, we'll keep you updated on all this new stuff. Uh, but for now, uh, what would really help us is if you just keep spreading the message of the Scarelove Society, of Dr. Scarelove, of all of it. Um, like and subscribe on your favorite platforms. Mm -hmm. Share with friends and family. We need recruits. I'm, I'm sorry. Um, we need... People that also like what we're doing. Teachers, you know, Girl Scouts, presidents, militia members, everyone. Mm -hmm. There are seekers of the sinister everywhere. Everywhere. Um, so now it's time to head uh, just across the border into South Carolina for file number 18. Uh, Where'd you go, Tammy Sue? Yes. I'm Drew. And I'm Krista, and you're listening to Dr. Scarelove. So we fell hard into the rabbit hole for this week's episode. What began as an exploration into a disappearance turned into something much, much larger. We're going to take a little dive into the area where our tale takes place uh, before getting into the story. Yep. Um, so we need to know a little bit about North Augusta, South Carolina, which mm -hmm. is a super awkward name. Yep. Um, North Augusta, South Carolina. Because we live in Augusta, Georgia. We do. We do. Um, and this is right across the border from us. So, Krista, take us back in time. Tell us a little bit about North Augusta, South Carolina. Absolutely. Back in, in time. Currently, the city of North Augusta, South Carolina, sits near the border of Aiken and Edgefield counties and has a population of just over 17,500 residents. In our research, we discovered uh, the late, great soul singer Sharon Jones was born in North Augusta, which I didn't know. Um, mm -hmm. So we know that uh, Augusta is home to um, James, Brown. James Brown. Yes. But I'm actually more excited about Sharon Jones. I know. I'm like, not saying that I don't like James Brown. Of course I like James Brown. Yeah. But I also really love Sharon Jones. Oh, she's great. Yeah. She's wonderful. If anybody wants um, a better Christmas album than your standard, you know... Um, Baby, it's cold outside. Check out some Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings. Absolutely. So yep. good. Um, 
So North Augusta, once known as the small antebellum village of Hamburg, uh, the current city grew up over the remnants of that pre-Civil War society and families began settling in the area. Most notably, um, the Butlers, the Hans, and the uh, Mealings? Mealings, yeah. Mealings families who would go on the form uh, go on to form um, the North Augusta Land Company. So along with James U. Jackson, who made several trips to New York uh, to produce funding, they, be, they built the 13th Street Bridge, which stands over the Savannah River today, uh, connecting the downtown portion of Augusta, Georgia. Yep. Uh, the first school was erected in 1898, and early in the 20th century, uh, the city became a popular vacation spot for wealthy northerners. Uh, built in 1903, the Hampton Terrace Hotel housed many of these snowbirds, with famous guests including uh, John D. Rockefeller and President-elect William Howard Taft. Sadly, the hotel burned to the ground in 1916 and was never rebuilt. According to the South Carolina Encyclopedia, um, quote, the Cold War and the atomic bomb transformed North Augusta in the 1950s. On November 28th, 1950, the Atomic Energy Commission announced the construction of the Savannah River plant to be located just south of the town. The plant produced rapid growth and development in North Augusta. You know what's really funny about that? Like, in doing research on this, I realized all those stickers we see all the time that say SRP. I was thinking about that today. What does that mean? Savannah River Plant. Oh my god. I'm always like, why does everyone have the same sticker on their car? Yeah, it's Savannah River Plant. I know. Ah. I, I, anybody from this area is going to go, yeah, you fucking morons, whatever. <laughs> well, we, you know, we're new here. We're new here. We've we're been new here about a year. Yep. Yep. So. So, um, population more than tripled from 3,659 in 1950 to more than 14,000 by 1956. So that's a huge jump. crazy. It's a huge jump. Yeah. So in 1951, the area of North Augusta increased from 722 acres to 5,139 acres. By 2000, an additional 11,500 acres had been annexed, bringing the city's total land area to almost 18 square miles. Um, In 1969, North Augusta boasted a median family income of 71% higher than the state as a whole. In 1994, the Savannah River site and the Graniteville Company were North Augusta's top employers. Um, But these aren't the only lucrative career fields in the area. Golf is not only a favorite pastime, but a source of income for many. Augusta National, home of the Masters Tournament, um, is the biggest and most famous golfing event in the world. It's right across the river in Georgia and employs many people and many of many trades. Yeah. Uh, cooks, mm-hmm. janitors, you know, uh, they employ a lot of people there. Yeah, which actually I was wondering with this coronavirus scare, what is that going to be like for Augusta? People come from all over the they world. They do, actually. That, that's true. I, I mm-hmm. hadn't thought about that until right now. Yeah, uh, I mean, and there's gonna, no way they're going to cancel it. That's the first week of April, too. Yeah, so, yeah. it's coming up soon. We'll see what happens. So, uh, back to North Augusta. Um, then there's the health services industry. Uh, the Augusta Chronicle writes, quote, the region's three largest health systems, University Healthcare System, Augusta University Health, and Doctors Hospital, are in expansion mode, end quote. There's a large VA and myriad other clinics and hospitals to choose from or work in. And this gets us to where we need to be. Yes, it does. Not much is known about Tammy Kindry's early life. Tamara Sue Russell was born April 13, 1977, and raised in northwest Indiana. 
And I wasn't able to find an exact place, so I'm going to assume that it was Gary. Oh, my God. Gary, Indiana. Um, just The worst place in the United States. I'm sorry. It is a horrible city. Anybody out there that's listening from Gary, which is... I'm really uh, sorry. I mean, to be fair, like, if we actually had a listener from Gary, like, you know, just... Like, nope. if it showed up on uh, on the stats, Gary, Indiana. Yeah. I, I feel like I'd give them a shout-out. The worst. If you're from Gary, write in. Talk to us about Gary. Sorry for um, shitting on your city. Also, fun fact, um, when Krista gets drunk, um, she turns into an alter ego named Gary. Uh, reference to Gary Oak from Pokemon. Uh, my nerd's out there. I'm a dick. I actually, I actually didn't know that. Um, I just thought it was just kind of a weird, you know, hillbilly name. No, Gary. It's, it's Ash Ketchum's rival. Oh, okay. Uh, well, my alter ego is Tasha. Mm-hmm. And we're just going to move on from there because there's actually no reference there. It's just a sorority girl. Yeah. Um, all right. So Tammy worked in a local drugstore in the early 90s. It was there that she met and began dating her coworker, Park Kindry. September 20th, 1994 was, by all accounts, the day they decided to become a couple. Aww. Officially. And this date will be important, so remember it. Their relationship developed, they dated, got married, and had three children. After Park obtained a job as a welder in South Carolina, the couple picked out some land and had their dream home built in a wooded area just on the outskirts of North Augusta. This was in May of 2007. Here's why the internet scares me, though. When we looked into that area, just to get an idea of the neighborhood, and uh, we were able to find out a lot more than expected. A popular real estate site, and I'm not going to tell you which one that is, but I'm sure you can assume, not only gave us the square footage of that home, but how much the family originally paid for the house and the land. It's really creeping me out to think about how much of our info is so easily accessible out there. And to respect the family still living there, we will omit any other discovered info. Although, I do know that they have air conditioning. And and, and forced forced heat. We need it in the South. Yes, we do. Uh, But we will say that by 2009, the home was officially built. And the family had settled in. Soon after, Tammy got a job at a local branch of the National Healthcare Corporation. Whose vision is... Quote, caring in a better way, day by day. Oh, that's nice. This was a sentiment that extended beyond the patients to coworkers, as we will soon find out. So, let's talk about the day of. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, while she was normally thought of as a kind, soft-spoken, and for lack of a better term, mild-mannered person... Um, Tammy Kindry's mood was much different on the morning of September 20th, 2014. Her coworkers found her snappy and nervous. While in normal conversation around the water cooler, uh, her voice grew louder, shakier, as if it had become threadbare. She seemed annoyed, flustered, easily provoked. This could be chalked up to a simple case of waking up on the wrong side of the bed, uh, but her visible anxiety intensified. Coworkers would also say that Within the two hours Tammy arrived at her 7 uh, 7 a.m. shift, she checked her blood pressure four times, registering higher and higher numbers with each test. 
Other nurses and staff urged her to relax, as her demeanor and attitude were certainly doing nothing to counteract her accelerated heartbeat. Which is funny, because I feel like, you know, when I was reading this and I was thinking about it, um, it reminded me of you. Like, being in the doctor's office and them telling you to calm the fuck down... Like, I can't. If you tell me to calm down, I'm going to be more nervous. <laughs> exactly. It's like the worst thing ever. It's like, you know, think of puppies. You know, that, that that's a better way to tell someone to calm down. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, but Tammy soon decided she had enough work for the day. Although she'd driven herself to the nursing home, Tammy apparently didn't feel comfortable making the return trip herself. She instead called her husband, Park, and asked him to pick her up. She told him she wasn't feeling well and that she was lightheaded. Having the day off, Park did so, getting his wife back to their five-year-old home before 10 a.m. They left her car at the clinic, intending to retrieve it later. Tammy quickly changed into pajamas and told her family that she was going to lie down for a nap. Park, along with their two sons, wanting to give Tammy some peace and quiet, left at approximately 10 a.m. to take care of a new family, uh, or a few family errands. Their daughter was still at a friend's house following um, a sleepover the night before. The older of the uh, Kinjury sons was dropped off at his paternal grandmother's house where he mowed the lawn, while the younger son accompanied his father, Park, shopping. After reviewing security footage from the stores they said they visited, the pair were positively identified by law enforcement. When Park returned home sometime later, the exact time is sketchy. He found the family dog outside, which was unusual, and the house locked. The house was empty, but instead of finding his wife, he found a handwritten note. The note read, quote, gone for a walk. Be back soon. Love you. Investigators and Park himself would later think this was written by somebody else. But eventually that handwriting was confirmed to have been Tammy Kindry's. The content and tone of the note were also of interest, but more on that later. Park was immediately concerned, as his wife never left notes like this. She was, according to her husband, family, and friends, very reliant on texting for the exchange of messages and information. And it's funny, when I, when I was thinking about that, too, you never leave me notes. It's always texts. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I leave just... notes often, but I yeah. think I'm a few years older than you, and maybe mm -hmm. I'm just, you know, a fogey now. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I guess sometimes it's just easier it's because easier. I know yeah. that you're going to get it. Like I always yeah. wonder sometimes maybe if I leave you a note, maybe you won't see it somehow. That's true. Like go no, in a different absolutely. door or. That's something that, you know, you think about like, mm -hmm. that's why it's kind of weird. I mean, this is 2014, but that's yeah. not that long ago. No. I mean, 2014, everybody was very reliant on their phones at this point. Absolutely. So it is kind of strange. Like I leave a note every once in a while, but it's usually like a cutesy note. Like, mm -hmm. Hey, Enjoy this Dorito casserole I made for you. Which is true. That, that was a real note I got uh, two weeks ago. <laughs> but uh, it's better than like texting, hey, I made you a Dorito casserole. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, there, there you go. Yep. Uh, so thinking at first she may have been feeling better and decided to walk back to work or retrieve her car, Park left his sons at the house alone and went in search of Tammy, taking the various routes that she might have taken back to the NHC healthcare facility. At the same time, Park had phoned his daughter and insisted she enlist her friend and friend's mother to begin searching the area for their mother. Neither car found any sign of Tammy Kinjury. Back at the house, and joined by his son, Park began searching the surrounding wooded area. Their many echoing calls were left unanswered. Terrified, Park called the police at roughly 2 p.m. the same day, only four hours after he'd last seen his wife. 
Deputies of the South Edgefield Sheriff's Office joined Park in searching the nearby woods, but were also greeted with silence. Search canines were employed and given a worn pair of Tammy's scrubs to pick up a scent. Neither the dogs nor police had any more luck than the, the remaining Kendry family members had. The house, of course, was also searched, and nothing was found to be amiss, or anything to suggest foul play. Her purse was still at the house, however, which contained Tammy's cell phone, wallet, with credit cards and ID, and her keys. Wherever Tammy had gone, she locked herself out without a shred of money, identification, or method of communication. Law enforcement soon expanded their search to hiking trails along Interstate 20, where Tammy often went, and put notices out to nearby agencies to be on the lookout for a white female roaming the streets on foot. None of this returned any information about Tammy Kindry's whereabouts. <laughs> when I read that, like, uh, white female roaming the streets on foot, and I'm not, I'm not laughing to like make light of this situation. Yeah. But in general, it's like that could be you. Like, it could be anybody. That, this... Like white female roaming the streets on foot. <laughs> it's like, uh, give Krista a couple of wine coolers, and she'll be roaming the streets on yeah. foot, barefoot. Yeah. Probably, maybe with a loincloth. Maybe maybe a little bit more. I don't think I've ever worn a loincloth, but I am a big fan of Fine. bare Just feet. Just a G-string. How's that? I was trying to be PC. Never worn a G-string out in public. I feel like you do a lot. There's just clothes over it. Oh, Drew. Oh, Drew. Okay. I, I just imagine you're always wearing a G-string. Let's be real. Um, well, you know, don't really want to talk about my underwear on the air. Why not? I'll talk about my underwear. Because I don't. I, I'm wearing boxer briefs right now. He is. It's his, it's his favorite kind. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, 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 there's support, but also freedom. I'm, I'm really happy for you. Please tell me about Tangi, Tammy Kendry's whereabouts. Um, so Tammy's family spring into action, producing flyers and information about her disappearances to be hung up in shop windows and ferried by truck drivers to further locations. Um, her husband, Park, organized a volunteer search party and personally traveled as far as Atlanta, um, some two and a half hours away, looking for his missing wife. In the weeks following her disappearance, these volunteer searchers latched onto the scent of something thought to be deceased. Deep within a thicket of briar bushes near their home, the, part, the party discovered an old wooden shack, abandoned for some time. Inside, they found sponges, gloves, and a plastic bag which held the decomposing corpse of a dog. Oh, my God. The family, a family friend would say, someone went to a lot of trouble to put that dead dog in there and went on to insist that even if the dog wrapped in plastic had nothing to do with Tammy's disappearance, it still implied that deviant, dangerous persons might live near the Kindry home. Although the details of what that dog suffered are unclear, it seems that it was wicked enough to imply that the perpetrator could be capable of doing something similar to a human being. The sheriff's office, however, was quick to say that what was found in the shack bore no connection to Tammy Kindry's disappearance. Additionally, any further attempts to explore the woods were halted as hunting season opened in the state of South Carolina. That was it. Poof. Just vanished. To this day, no trace of Tammy Kindry has ever been found. Nothing. Not a single shred. Not clothes. Not fingernails. Not images. Not sightings. Hair. Nothing. Nothing. That's insane. Nothing has ever been found, right? So, 
now we have to kind of get into some theoretical knowledge, some theories about what might have happened. Mm -hmm. So here's some of the stranger details um, and some of those theories about and around Tammy Kendry's disappearance. Let's start with Kendry's men mental state. At first, investigators did not reveal to the public anything about her battle with depression. They hoped that keeping that information secret would help filter through some of the many tips that were coming in. And here I have to mention, like, it seems like every case, uh, every true crime case, every disappearance, there's always some wackadjerk that just, like, so I was going to say wackadoodle, which is totally um, something that Dan Cummins says mm -hmm. on Time Suck. Um, and I'm trying not to be him. <laughs> um, so uh, a, a crazy fool uh, yeah. calls in and, you know, says, I did it. A looney tune. A looney tune. Yes, a looney tune. Uh, calls in and says, I did it. She's, yeah. in, she's in my pool. I got a drained pool. She's in the back of the pool. And then they go there and they're like, no, she's not. Yeah. It's just like wanting that, you know, five minutes of That fame. attention. It's crazy. Um, but anyway, uh, her depression would be divulged by Park himself, hoping that this information might inspire compassion for the dire nature of the situation. He told WRDW, quote, unfortunately, she developed a depression. And I think that's what led to her leaving. Huh. He'd go on to talk about her feelings of being overwhelmed by their life with caring for their children. And he said, for him personally, she would often say that she needed to get away. Hmm. She was taking prescribed antidepressant medication at the time of her disappearance. Charlieproject.org states, Tammy Kindry was unhappy and had made a recent suicide attempt by taking medication with alcohol. And other sources close to the Kindries would state that this attempt at taking her life happened just two weeks before her disappearance. This, of course, leads some to believe that her disappearance was a suicide that left her body hidden to this day. This desire to escape may have also manifested itself in another life Tammy was engaging in. While searching the contents of Tammy's cell phone, police found evidence of possible extramarital sexual relationships with two men. Uh-oh. Although the texts had been deleted, furthering the notion of keeping these interactions secret, investigators were able to recover that data. Both of the men that she had been in contact with were interviewed, and they were ultimately cleared. But the fact that these two existed opens the door to the possibility that other men might have existed. And it only takes one terrible dude to do something terrible. Mm-hmm. This possibly was confirmed by local investigators. Only a few weeks after her disappearance, they officially stated that the cause had, quote, suspicious circumstances that alluded to foul play. Although, what that might have been remains a mystery. What are some of those circumstances? Well, first, the fact that Tammy went for a walk in the first place. It wasn't that she wasn't a walker, but certainly not in the area where their house was located. A wooded non-sidewalk -side to neighborhood. Sounds like your parents' neighborhood. Kinda, yeah. Um, it isn't exactly the most safe area to stroll around the block. If she wanted to, family would say, she would head down to the quaint downtown area of North Augusta, which is adorable. It's adorable. Or she'd go to a local hike uh, to take a walk. Mm -hmm. Next, the note. The note. That's the thing, the note. We mentioned earlier that Tammy was more of a text messenger, 
than a note lever. Mm -hmm. So right off, this is strange. But the concluding love you also has those close to her kind of thrown. It seems this wasn't something Tammy threw around often. Reserving the expression for times when she'd be apart from the receiver for longer periods of time. Hmm. Like, you and I say it a lot. Like, probably too much. Kind of Love like, you. Yeah, all the time. Yeah. But, you know, she was the kind of person that said it like, you know, if I'm just going to the store, she's not going to say it. Yeah. So that that was kind of, that's kind of strange. Again, at first, it was thought that someone else wrote it, but her handwriting was confirmed. Maybe she was forced to write it. And that's what I'm saying. It doesn't mean that someone wasn't forcing um, her to leave the note. Yeah. You know, um, someone could have been in the house and said, write the note. Mm -hmm. And maybe her actually writing the love you was the message saying, I'm not doing this. Yeah. I don't want to be doing this. Yeah. So. That makes sense. And then there's also the fact that she left um, any everything of importance at home. ID, money, phone, etc. All laid out as if she was intending to be right back. Or again, she was forced to leave it all behind. Or she chose to, hoping that in the case of a suicide, she would be less identifiable. Which is kind of like, we have to consider that. You know, we do. Uh, the idea that she was exhibiting, you know, depression. And mm -hmm. A lot of people do. I do. Yep. You know, I do. Um, you know, maybe she didn't want the family to suffer by, you know, having her body be found in, you know, whatever fashion it would be. But at the same time, it's like, maybe not knowing would be even worse. But, you yeah. know. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, you're fine. Uh, and so finally, the most interesting part of this whole thing, the locked house. When Park returned home, he found the doors locked. No big deal unless you take this into account. The locks of this house could only be deadbolted from the outside. So Tammy's keys were still inside the locked house. Which means that once Park left and locked up behind himself when he went to run errands with his sons, the door had stayed that way. How did Tammy get out? Then lock the door, then somehow get her keys back on the kitchen table. Hmm. Of course, there's always the possibility that she went through the window, but no evidence has been found of this. And more than that, why? If she's home alone, just walk out the door and disappear. Then there's this notion of her slipping out of the house before Park and the kids left. But this, yeah. it seems, is impossible. On the disappeared episode, uh, Walking into Darkness, Park says, quote, The important fact is the 13-year-old seeing her at the house when we got home. He's, uh, he's seen her in a nursing outfit when she got home and seen her when we left. The door was open when we left. We all seen her in the bed. Unquote. So again, how the hell did she get out? And what the hell happened to her? Aliens. <laughs> Park Kendry also told, told WRDW that he found it strange that all of her personal items were still within the locked house. And, quote, I've always thought maybe someone just got into the house and took her. But who? Who would have taken her? Isn't it always the husband? Nine times out of ten. But based on what we found, this is an example of that tenth time. He was confirmed by witnesses and security footage to be at the store as he said he was. He also volunteered to take a polygraph, which he had some questionable results. But ultimately, he was never considered a suspect by the sheriff's office. And I'm inclined to agree. The timeline doesn't make sense. He does have motive, mm -hmm. which is, you know, the infidelity, uh, leaving him and... K 
kids and, you know, just like bailing on their life together. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, it would take some serious deviance and planning to pull that off. Let's follow that thread. Let's say he came home, left his son downstairs, and went up and killed her. Then he was able to find, uh, to, you know, hide her body mm-hmm. well enough that trained investigators wouldn't find it. And sometimes, sometime later, he got her body out of the house and disposed of it where it still remains hidden. Hmm. Or maybe he was somehow able to get her into the trunk of his car without anyone noticing and dropped her body off somewhere while he was said to be searching that possible route she took back to her workplace. Ah. But then, of course, he could have gone back and moved her to a hidden location later. But again, this would take a lot of skill and luck to pull this off. And for the record, I don't presume to be, you know, I, I don't. I'm not saying he's the killer. I'm saying that this no. is, it's a possibility. I'm just pointing We're out just some theories. just looking at the facts. Yeah, I mean, um, he left at roughly 10 a.m. Mm-hmm. And then was they called the police at 2. Yeah. So he, I, I'm thinking he got back around noon. Yeah. You know, um, that's a long, that, that, that's not a long time enough to kill your wife, mm-hmm. hide her somehow, and get her body out and hide it well enough that it's still never been found. Sure, he could have moved it to a, a location for a minute, gone back after the fanfare died down, mm-hmm. and then hit it better. But it just doesn't seem like he has the, really the motive to do it. Or really the ability. Um, he's yeah. not a killer. You know, this would be some yeah. something that would be done out of passion in the moment, maybe not premeditated. So he hasn't been thinking, you know, he yeah. wouldn't have been thinking about it. It would be just kind of a panic thing. It would. And why would he do it with his son in the house? Yeah. You know? It doesn't make any sense. So, so if not the husband, I mean, if like when we think that he, you know, that's the number one suspect, if it's not the husband, who else? Honestly, um, no real suspects have ever been provided by the powers that be. Searching for this information has proved fruitless, to say the least. Although, here's what our sto- or where our story is going to diverge. We fell down a massive rabbit hole based on a single news article found on NBCnews.com. Quote, Missing Pieces Network, a nonprofit organization dedicated to serving families of the missing, abducted, or murdered, said that it identified six or seven other women who have disappeared near the property of one Todd Colehep. Hmm. The organization identified two of the women to NBC News, Tammy Kindry and Tracy Wright. The latter disappeared only three weeks ago. What? So far, the group has identified two women to NBC News, Tracy Wright and Tammy Kindry, who have gone missing. In 2003, this Todd Cohep was also berated by employees of a motorsports dealership when he attempted to return a motorcycle he had recently purchased. Cohep's mother said they, quote, made fun of him for not being able to ride it. Oh. Colehup would then strike back at those who laughed at him before moving to South Carolina. The south part of South Carolina, which is also, yeah. Yeah. We get south, it. A lot of souths and norths. Yes. Um, very close to where Tammy Kendry disappeared. And some have speculated that Tammy Kendry left on a two-wheeled vehicle the day she was last seen. Hmm. About two and a half hours north of North Augusta is the town of Chesney, South Carolina. Hardly a bustling metropolis, the town currently houses a population of just under 900. In addition to being the birthplace of Woody Abernathy, 
a Yankees pitcher, and Sonia Glenn, Miss South Carolina of 1998, it was once a home to Superbike Motorsports. On the morning of November 6, 2003, a local customer found a grisly scene in and around the shop. The shop's owner, 30-year-old Scott Ponder, was lying dead in the parking lot, having suffered multiple gunshot wounds. The store's service manager, 30-year-old Brian Lucas, was found lying just inside the entrance, also the victim of multiple bullets. The same fate befell 52-year-old Beverly Guy, the shop owner's mother. She lay between some of the display bikes and the showroom floor. In the garage, 26-year-old Chris Sherbert was shot to death, apparently as he worked on a motorbike that had brought in, been brought in for service. CBS reported that, quote, the gruesome scene stunned the Chesney community, driving rumors of violent gangs as it went unsolved year after year. The, uh, the person responsible would not be identified for nearly two decades. Todd Christopher Sampsel was born March 7, 1971, in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. He would spend about 12 years moving around Florida, Georgia, and South Carolina with his mother and stepfather. Reports say that the boy had a, quote, troubled relationship with his stepfather. And there isn't a lot of details of what troubled mean, mm -hmm. but I live in the real world, so I can kind of assume. We understand, yeah. Yeah. Um, he was often, uh, he often demanded to go live with his biological father, who had since moved to Arizona, although they had not seen each other in nearly a decade. Hmm. Before he got his wish, which he would, in 1983, Cole Hep would show many signs that psychologists would now interpret as warning signs for later sociopathic behavior. He was aggressive toward other kids at school and often destroyed their property. <laughs> property? A bully. You know, I, I, he kind of reminds me of like a, a, a Patrick Hockstetter from It. You know? Ah, you know, okay. The, the, yeah, yeah, that guy. Um, one neighbor described a vivid memory of Cole Hep at the time, saying, quote, He laughed when her son cried as he rolled him down the street locked in a dog carrier. Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, ABC News wrote that uh, Cole Hep was nine years old when he began counseling, where the following colorful descriptors were used for him. Explosive? And, quote, preoccupied with sexual content. Keep in mind, nine years old. Yeah, it's a little young. Around this time, he shot a dog with a BB gun and drowned a goldfish in bleach. Horrible. Like, yeah. I don't know what it is, but whenever I hear about, like, animals being uh -huh. abused, I'm, like, so much more horrified. Yeah. Because they're innocent. Uh, yeah, but so are, so are most humans, right? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't... I didn't mean to interrupt. <laughs> it's okay. Um, it, it pisses me off, too. Yeah. It's disgusting. And so, uh, for this and his problems with other children, he would spend three years in a Georgia State Psychiatric Institute before being sent to live with his biolog biological father in Arizona. So, he gets there. Uh, the St. Louis Dispatch Post quoted Cole Hepp's father as um, saying, anger was the only emotion his son was capable of. Which is pretty brutal. Like, yeah. Your dad says that? Like, Ooh. yeah, the only thing I ever really saw him express was anger. Yeah, that would, uh... That's brutal. Not someone I want to be around. And here, uh, Todd would change his name from Samsel, 
to his father's surname, Colehead. And he began spending time with Pops, learning about guns, knives, and bombs. Which I, I feel, you know, that, that that's healthy. Okay, I learned how to make a bomb when I was a teenager. From your dad? No, it was from other kids. All we did was we took a water bottle and we filled it with toilet bowl cleaner and then we stuck little balls of aluminum in it. That's not a bomb. You know, it's like a bomb. Like, it goes, you know. His mom, it was my my ex-boyfriend's mom. She was mowing the lawn and we were, it was really stupid. Did you have to throw it to make it blow up? No, we just hit it around the yard because it takes about, you know, a little bit of time to react. And so... You know, just just normal kid stuff, but yeah, uh, you're a my lot dad like, wasn't teaching me how to make you're bombs. You're a lot like this, um, teaching about <laughs> knives and guns and bombs. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, soon, however, Colehep wanted to return to his recently divorced mother as uh, Pops was spending too much time away from the house, supposedly out with various girlfriends. So dad wasn't spending too much time at home. He had this, like, I, I, I kind of see it, like... He's having trouble with his stepfather. Mm-hmm. Wants to go live with dad. You know, like, I feel like that's an, that's a thing that most, you know, kids of divorce do. Like, oh, the other parent's better. Absolutely. I mean, my parents are divorced. And I used to, I mean, and my parents got divorced when I was an adult. Like, when I was 22. And so, whenever my mom would piss me off, I'd go hang out with my dad for a while. So, it's a normal thing. It is. It is. So, he gets there, and it's not what it's cracked up to be. No. I th- I feel like he's having fun learning about bombs and guns and knives, but dad's out, you know, prowling. Yeah, prowling. He's having some uh, some lady lady fun. Some, some adult fun. <laughs> Did so, I just say lady fun? You said lady fun. I did. Okay. We're gonna we're just gonna move past that. Uh so Mama Sampsol did not want him back, however. Um and was said to continually make up excuses to keep him in Arizona. Neither parent, it seemed, could stand to be around him, which is <laughs> so sad. So like the dad's out of that. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm not laughing at the misfortune, all those guys are a piece of shit, and you'll yeah. find out soon why that is. Um, but I think it's funny that like both parents are like, oh, I'm just going to stay out with like my girlfriend, or mom's like, oh, you know, stay with your dad for a while. You know, things are... I'm getting the house fumigated or, you know, whatever. I, I, I'm washing my hair. You can't come yeah, home. I'm washing my... I've been, I'm going to wash my hair for the next six months. Yep. Just stay in Arizona. Oh my God. And, you know, kids aren't dumb. Like, they can see through that. Yeah. Yeah. So, back to this dude. At just 15 years old, Colehep stepped up his terrible appetites when he turned to human beings. It's no longer goldfish and dogs. Uh, but by the way, let's just r- briefly revisit drowning a goldfish in bleach. That's horrifying. I know. Like, goldfish are like, like I feel like they're like the most innocent things that ever existed. Yep. Reminds me of my college roommate flushing my goldfish down the toilet. My beta fish. Yeah, well, fuck her. Yeah. We don't like her. We don't talk about her, her here. <laughs> Okay, um, but back to this this horrible human being. Um, on November twenty sixth, nineteen eighty six, he kidnapped a fourteen year old girl in Tempe, Arizona. He was fifteen at the time, mm-hmm. so like I'm not excusing it, but I'm saying, you know, that's nuts. Hold on, that's bold. No, no, that's what I'm saying. Like, 
I'm not excusing it. I'm saying like it's it's important to note that he was 15. It's yeah. not like this was a you know John Wayne Gacy or a mm-hmm. whatever you know at 45, yeah, kidnapping a 14 year old. He was 15 years old. Yeah, uh, threatening her with a 22 pistol, uh, he took her back to his father's house, taped her mouth closed, and raped her. Afterward, he walked her home. Yeah, and his mom would later say. Oh, my son's not capable of anything bad. Look, he walked her home afterward. Yeah, that's what mom said. Oh yeah. my god. Yeah, we'll talk about that later. Um, piece of human garbage. Yeah, he's a gentleman. I mean, he walked her home after he raped her. I mean, that's usually what you should do. You know, that, that that's what gentleman means, right? Ugh. Yeah. It's disgusting. Uh, one report stated, quote, He went to his 14-year-old rape victim's house after talking to her parents and making sure they wouldn't be home. Hmm. So he premeditated this. Yeah. Like, he actually went and talked to them. Wow. And to find out they weren't going to be there so he could actually do what he was going to do. Wow. Um. Todd was not a child you left alone, his mother would say, Regina, uh, you know, Colehep. Uh, she told ABC News, she said Todd's father had an emergency with his own father, and they left Todd alone for three days. Quote, we left him home, and then he was jealous of this girl's boyfriend. So he went and took, just took her, took her away to the house that was unoccupied. So he had, um, by, uh, by the way, excuse me, uh, Regina was actually the, the, like, stepmother i guess at the time gotcha yeah. so okay. um he you know he went over talked to their parents or th- this this girl's parents mm-hmm. figured out that they weren't going to be home and coordinated that with the time that his own father would not be home for three days so nobody would know what was happening a lot of a lot of creepy planning yep yeah yep. but you know and it's not it's, it's not over yet so, to keep her quiet about the incident, he threatened the lives of her younger siblings. But this did not deter the incident from catching the attention of local authorities. He was arrested and charged with kidnapping, sexual assault, and committing a dangerous crime against children. His first question to officers when he was arrested was how long he was going to have to spend in prison. Think about that. Like, so what does this get me? What, what do I get? So like, no, not like no remorse. No remorse at all. No. In a plea deal, uh, he actually pled guilty to kidnapping. And so the other charges were dropped. Hmm. So he served a 15-year sentence. Uh, well, he actually only served 14 years of the 15-year sentence. Um, but while he was in, he was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder. Surprise, surprise. Um, but he was also tested to have an IQ of 118. Pretty and, high. And when I when I read that, I well, was like... Normal. I was like, bam, God, you beat, bruh. Yeah. Me too. Just saying. Me too. Saying. So I once had my IQ tested. It was 121. Yep. Yeah. I'm not going to tell you mine because then it'll just make it seem like I'm trying to one-up you. Yeah. So I'm not going to do that. Let's move on. We're just a bunch of fucking nerds over here. Yeah. A lot of nerd. <laughs> uh, while locked up... He got a Bachelor's of Science from Central Arizona University, and after being released, moved back to South Carolina to be closer to his mother. 
He began working as a graphic designer, attended both Greenville Technical College and University of South Carolina Upstate before gaining his real estate license in 2006. Yeah. What about that? Like, just shit's getting good for him, right? Um, Fun fact. He actually lied about his felony status and his sex offender status, like you know his uh, you know the, the registry, registry on the application. Um, so he was actually able to obtain his real estate license. That's insane. Like when we were yep. shopping for a house. Yep. I mean, I we were alone with our realtor quite a bit. Sometimes I was even alone. You she know? was also a very small lady. She's not. Well, yeah, but she's I mean, very nice. She's very nice. She's awesome. I love her. She's uh, shout out. If you ever listen to this, Bonnie, you're awesome. Thank yeah. you so much for helping us with our house. But at the same time, I didn't never felt intimidated by her. No, well, that's not what I'm saying. Oh. What I'm saying is, um, if she, you know, was this, it happened to be this guy. I mean, that's scary. Like, yeah, you don't if know, she happened to be this guy. You don't know who, you know. No, you don't. But I also You put a lot of faith into your realtor and, you know, you spend a lot of time with them. So it just, we, yeah. it's just scary. We put faith in those people. But at yeah. the same time, I like if your real estate agent was a large, like Ed Kemper kind of dude, you mm-hmm. know, like six, nine or whatever he was, I, I, I wouldn't let you go alone. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, but it does go to show, like, you, you don't think about that. Like, some of the people that you put your faith and trust in aren't the best people. No. Yeah. So, uh, by the time of his later arrest, he had actually, you know, he created a very successful firm, and he actually had over a dozen agents under him at that firm. And... (laughs) For a time, he was actually recognized as the top-selling agent in his area. That's insane. He made a great amount of money, and he bought a lot of property out of state, as well as a farm with 100 acres outside of Moore, South Carolina, just two hours north of North Augusta. Let's hope he didn't have any animals on that farm. He might have. He might have. Um, but in that time, he also bought a motorcycle from Superbike Motorsports in Chesney, South Carolina. Oh, shit. Remember earlier when we were talking about some random motorbike thing? Yeah, now we're coming back to it. Yeah, okay. So, um... Where the hell are we going with all this, right? (laughs) Uh, Let's not question it. Uh, We're just going to go where that rabbit hole takes us. Yeah, the rabbit hole uh, dictates all. In September and October of 2016... Unusual posts began to appear on the Facebook page of Charles David Carver. This led to the investigation of a disappearance or crime committed against Carver and his girlfriend, Kayla Brown. Tracing cell phone records and pings from cell phone towers, investigators found themselves on a farmstead just outside of Moore, South Carolina. Shortly after arriving, they heard the sound of something banging into metal. Seeing a nearby shipping container, they moved toward the sound. As they drew closer, they began to hear the horrible sound of a woman screaming from inside. Opening the steel doors, they found Kayla, brown, chained by the neck to the wall of the container. She soon told police that Kolheb had hired the couple to work and clean his farmhouse, responding to an ad back on August 31st. It wasn't long before Colehap became upset with Kayla Brown and took his frustration out on the boyfriend, Charles David Carver. He shot the man multiple times in front of her and then buried him on the property. 
Not wanting to hurt her, Kolheb intimidated Brown into not trying to escape by showing the graves of other victims, then chaining her up in the shipping container for nearly two months. Remember, this is a metal shipping container in South Carolina in late summer, early fall. Yeah. I mean, think about that. She's in there for two months. Two months. I can't imagine what she suffered. No. During the, that two months. Just just. I saying. can't believe she lived. Well, uh, the thing is, when, in doing research on this, it, it was never said that he did anything other than just kidnap her mm-hmm. and restrain her in this thing. But, as we'll find out later, she did file a civil suit against him for sexual abuse. Ah. So, now we know that he's also even worse, you yeah. know. Yeah. So even more of a garbage human than we thought he was. So Colehep was arrested very soon after. He asked to speak with his mother. That that's what he wanted. Not lawyer. Mommy. Mama. Mama. Um, and he traded this luxury, this privilege of speaking with his his mother for a confession to the killings in the Chesney, South Carolina area, some thirteen years earlier. And think about that. Like he was arrested for, you know, this chained woman in, in a container on his property. They were not there. He got away with the killings at the motorbike shop. Yeah. And he offered up. I mean, I get, I get, he was probably like, well, I'm already fucked. Like, I might as well, yeah, you know, maybe give you something else. And I feel like a lot of killers, like, they want um, the recognition, too. Mm-hmm. Like, maybe he was frustrated that no one knew it was him yet. Yep. And I, I guess they didn't believe him at first. Mm-hmm. So to prove it, uh, to prove that he was the killer, um, he told them that he had shot each of those people at the motorcycle shop in the forehead. This was a detail that they had actually left out when addressing the public, you know, to, like, weed out. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, so in talking with his mother, he supposedly confessed to a, a lot of other mur- murders. Many, many of them. When his mother asked for a number, Colehep said, quote, you don't have enough fingers. Oh, my God. Yeah. His mother also stated that the employees of the bike shop were rude to him, making fun of him for being unable to learn how to properly ride a motorcycle. And then they refused to refund his money. That's why he went back and shot them all to death. Oh, my God. Yeah. Wow. Um, they actually found Carver, uh, the boyfriend's vehicle, hidden on Colehep's property in a ravine covered with debris. Um, they discovered many weapons, including semi-automatic firearms and silencers. Uh, but most importantly, they found two more bodies. Mm. Later identified as 29-year-old Johnny Joe Coxie and 26-year-old Megan Lee McCraw Coxie. This couple, it was discovered, had been hired to help clean and work around the farm back in 2015. A sort of like, like Kayla. Kayla and her and her and her boyfriend. Mm-hmm. They were officially listed as missing on December 22nd of that year. The coroner stated they were identified by extensive tattoos on each of their body and had died from gunshot wounds. But real quick, I have to note this. You don't want to know what the coroner's name was? What was it? Rusty Clevenger. 
Wow. That's, that's just like, a, that sounds like a weapon. Like a rusty cleaver. Yeah, exactly. Oh Clevenger. Clevenger. Rusty Clevenger. Rusty Clevenger. Uh, like, I just think that's the, one of the greatest names I've ever heard in my life. Yeah. So, uh, the wife of the couple was an employee at a Waffle House in nearby Roebuck, South Carolina. Employees there remember Colehep as being a regular, with one telling CBS... Cole Hepp would allegedly invite the waitresses to his home while leaving large tips for his meals. He was known to be a creep um, and further creep out the women who worked there. Yeah. Uh, they also said uh, the behavior was so disturbing that in 2015, the male cook of the establishment began taking Cole Hepp's orders instead of the waitresses. Yeah. And if you've ever been to a Waffle House, you know that those cooks are busy. So, um, taking time out of, you know, the line to actually take, the, I mean, it must've been serious. Yeah, absolutely. So to save himself from the death penalty, Colehep pled guilty to seven counts of murder, two counts of kidnapping, and one count of criminal sexual assault. He was sentenced to seven consecutive life sentences without the possibility of parole. Colehep has also been suspected of another triple murder that occurred in Greer, South Carolina, just six months after the Superbike murders. Sylvia Holtzclaw, 56, the bank teller, and USC Upstate physics professor James E.B. Barnes, 61, and his wife Margaret, 58, were killed inside the bank. Though Colehep has not confessed to this. He has, however, implied many, many more. So here we get into our misconnections uh, section. What does one disappearance have to do with this other story? Nothing, at least on the surface. The show Disappeared notes the following. The Kingeries enjoyed motorcycles more than most, and this fact led to two interesting tips given to police. One was from Tammy's daughter. As she was driving around with her friend and, a mother, and uh, the friend's mother, claims to have seen Tammy on the back of a motorcycle clinging to an unidentified rider. The group, as well as authorities, were unable to locate this motorcycle, and besides the daughter's recollection, no trace has ever been found. The second tip was from a neighbor who reported hearing a vehicle with a loud engine leave the Kindry's driveway short after Park Kindry left with his sons, tearing off down the street. So a woman disappears around the same time that another man is killing other women. Probably happens all the time. They both happen in the same state, but still, nothing would connect this, other than an NBC article that Google brings up. An article that features both of their names in the same article. That alone was enough for us to go down that rabbit hole. Is it possible that Todd Colehep killed Tammy Kindry? Sure, maybe. Is it likely? Maybe not. But it does hammer home two things. One. How common it is to hear about missing women in this world. And two, how seemingly normal men are capable of such utter horror. Even if these two aren't linked, they are in the grand scheme of humanity. Colehep's implication of more victims may not produce answers for the Kindry family, but if he were to give up that information, maybe someone's family would receive the closure they've been looking for. And one last thing. USA Today reported on a series of product reviews on Amazon that were chilling, to say the least. The poster was listed as simply 
Me. That was the name of this reviewer. And had roughly 140 reviews on various products, including tactical vests, carabiners, gun magazine pouches, weapon mounts, and emergency medical kits, as well as books about rappelling, snipers, and emergency war surgery. Other reviews for, were for electronics, dog toys, music, and DVDs of The Walking Dead. In one review about a padlock, the Amazon user Me wrote, and by say by me, it's that's just the name. The mm-hmm. mu- the user was me. So the yeah. Amazon user quote me wrote quote solid locks have five on a shipping container, won't stop them, but sure will slow them down till they are too old to care. Mm-hmm. For a shovel with a folding handle, the user me posted a review suggesting that others quote keep in car for when you have to hide the bodies. And you left the full-size shovel at home. Does not come with a midget, which would have been nice. What? On a review of a knife posted on September 3rd, 2014, he said, Haven't stabbed anyone yet. Yet. But I am keeping the dream alive, and when I do, it will be with a quality tool like this. My God. Each of these items were traced back to the same wish list entitled Todd Colehep. Another review, this time for a different brand of padlock, read, Now my locks have locks. Place is Hotel California now. Oh my god. Remember how friends and relatives were alerted to Charles Carver and Calibran's disappearance? Because of weird Facebook posts on Carver's page. Mm. One was posted on October 1st, halfway between the couple's disappearance on August 31st and their discovery at the beginning of November. What did that post say? Last thing I remember, I was running for the door. I had to find a passage back to the place I was before. Relax, said the night man. We are programmed to receive. You can check out any time you like, but you can never leave. Oh my god. The eagles have never been more creepy to me. And there you have it. Two seemingly um, unconnected stories. Um, my heart goes out to the Kendry family, mm-hmm. um, her disappearance still unsolved. Um, and then this other piece of shit, uh, that's rotting in jail who keeps saying that he has multiple murders, uh, that, you know, have uh, remain unsolved. I mean, wouldn't that constitute, um, a search warrant? Like, couldn't someone, you know... The police, namely, go and dig up his property and try and find these bodies? I think they have, um, but it's 100 acres. Yeah, that's true. I forgot how big it was. That's a, that's a lot to dig that's up. a lot. Um, although he w- did take them to the two bodies on the property. Mm-hmm. The, the, the other couple that he had killed, yeah. he was the one who took them to, and showed them where the graves were. My God. Yeah. That's insane. So, yeah, he, uh, he's a terrible, terrible person. But the Amazon reviews. That is so creepy. I mean, the thing is, uh, they traced it back to a wish list that was called Todd Colehep. To be fair, it could be any weirdo. It could be. You know, it following could be. the story, but... But the Hotel California thing. Yeah. You know, it's Hotel California now, and then obviously someone was posting on 
the boyfriend who was dead mm-hmm. on his Facebook. He somehow yeah. was able to log in to that guy's thing and was and had been posting a bunch of weird stuff. That's what alerted people to the fact that yeah the dude was missing. So he probably had his phone. Like he his smartphone his phone. was probably logged into yep. Facebook, and then he took it and started posting this weird shit. And then posted the Hotel California thing. Oh, my God. But that review was from 2014. Mm-hmm. So he had already planned on locking someone up like it was Hotel California. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyway, I think it's time for Fright Facts, you know, the Now You Know section. Mm-hmm. Um, for your next, What? Uh. Um, your next appointment with your mother-in-law. Mother-in-law, uh, interior designer. Yeah. Um, uh, next time you're having that awkward moment with the cake designer uh, for your wedding planning. Yeah, wedding and, uh, cake testing. And they, you know, do you have nothing to talk about? Mm-hmm. You can tell them this. Yeah. You can tell them these things. These things. Things to remember from today's episode for your next awkward conversation. So A, the infamous 2003 superbike murders of Chesney, South Carolina, were finally solved when Todd Kolhep confessed to them in 2016. The families of the victims had some measure of closure, but they've also filed civil lawsuits against Kolhep. Kala Brown, the woman chained in the shipping container, has also filed a civil suit. Todd Kolhep was convicted of murdering those four in the bike shop, as well as three other people in South Carolina between 2003 and 2016, although he has alleged that there are many more. Maybe Tammy Kendry was one of these. Maybe taken away on the motorcycle, he finally figured out how to ride? (laughs) C. According to charlieproject.org, Tammy Kendry was last seen wearing... A light-colored shirt, dyke color, dyke? dark-colored pants or blue jeans, a wedding ring, and bracelets on her left wrist. She was five foot three, and about 125 pounds at the time of her disappearance. She would be 42 years old at the time of this recording. D. The family is asking if anyone has any information, even the smallest thing, to come forward. Although the original $4,000 reward is no longer available. Park Kendry, the grieving husband, uh, said, I had to file for bankruptcy. And it said that he might have to sell the house and move back in with his parents. Quote, I'm out of money. That's the reality of it. And last, but certainly not least, Tammy Kendry went missing after leaving a note that she was going for a walk. This was September 20th, 2014. Remember the date we pointed out from the first part of this episode? September 20th, 2014 was 20 years to the day from when Tammy and Park officially became a couple. September 20th, 1994. 20, 20, 20. And now you know. And that's it for today's episode. Um, I'm Dr. Drew, and I'm turning this uh, last part over to uh, the lovely, um, much better looking lady. Uh, and by lady, I just mean human being, um, because I got to pee. So love y'all. Talk to you soon. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. Um, it means a lot when you reach out to us on Twitter, uh, Instagram, 
Um, I will soon have our Facebook page up and running. Um, don't forget to visit our website, uh, drscarelove.com. That's drscarelove.com. Uh, look for our Patreon if you want to become a member of our cult. And I mean, uh, by cult, I mean our club. Um, some cool stuff for you guys. And then also our email. Uh, if you have anything that you'd you know, like to talk to us privately about, uh, drscarelove at gmail.com. Um, really, and I'm serious about this. Uh, these reviews really do help. Um, so thank you for those two reviewers who left us um, some great encouraging messages. Um, just like any time you check out a new restaurant, you go see a movie, whatever, um, the more positive reviews you have, the more likely you are to go there, right? So the more positive reviews we have on Apple uh, Podcasts, the more likely people are uh, to listen to us. And we want to keep reaching out to more Seekers of the Sinister. Um, so I hope you all enjoyed this episode um, and keep finding those rabbit holes. Fuck yeah! What do I press? The circle? Uh, square. Is it even going? Yep. Press square. Research for this episode was conducted by Dr. Krista Marie DeBanke and Dr. Drew Atana. More information about today's topic, or any topic, can be found on our website, drscarelove.com.